In this podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing Linda McDonald, an affair recovery counselor practicing in Washington State and author of the book, How to Help Your Spouse Heal from Your Affair. Her book has been very helpful to many of our podcast listeners and members of our online community forum, so I'm excited to have her join us today. We have a number of resources available with this podcast, including a link to Linda's book and website, a free download of Linda's self-test, Early Signs of an Inappropriate Relationship, and a full transcript of this podcast. You can access all of these on the podcast website, affairhealing.com slash podcast 122. If you would like to make a comment or ask a question for us to answer on a future podcast, you may leave an anonymous voicemail on our podcast hotline at 407-536-7398. That's 407-536-7398. And finally, if you would like to receive personal phone help from us, go to affairhealing.com slash coaching for more information on how to make that happen. We're passionate about helping people and would love to help you find your steps through the recovery process. Thank you for joining us. Let's get things started. Welcome to the Recovery Room Podcast, presented by AffairHealing.com. your host, Tim Tedder. Before I play my interview with Linda McDonald, let me explain that only after our phone conversation was over did I realize that I had forgotten to turn on my microphone. (laughs) Now, you'll still be able to hear both sides of our conversation as it was recorded through our phones. It's just that the audio quality is a little bit less than I hoped it would be. However, whatever is lacking in audio quality is easily made up for in the value of Linda's conversation as she shares with us those things that are helpful in her work with individuals and couples who are healing from the wounds of infidelity. Interspersed throughout this interview, you'll be hearing quotes from Linda's book, How to Help Your Spouse Heal from Your Affair. Here's our conversation. Your book, How to Help Your Spouse Heal from an Affair, I first found out about that from a post on my own forum where someone was recommending it. Uh-huh. And it's a book I had not come across before, so I quickly looked it up. It had the right kind of title for the area that I work in. Uh-huh. Uh, downloaded it, read it, uh, was so encouraged by just the straightforward, simple, and yet un- uncompromising message it gives to unfaithful spouses that ever since then I have readily recommended that. Thank so you. It, Thank you. As far as I can tell, is that the first book that you published? Yeah. I mean, I've written, I wrote a play that's been used all over the world, and I've, I've done e-books, I've done articles, but that was my first real book. Well, of all of the subjects available for you to write about in a fair recovery work, Why choose that one as the focus of your first book? Well, because it's been my specialty for 28 years to work with individuals and couples that have been involved in affairs, um, one person or the other, or sometimes both. What happened is I was getting so frustrated with people who had stepped out of their marriages, and then when the spouse finds out, they're just freaked out. They're scared. They lie more. They try to cover up. They don't know what to do. 
they panic. And I just thought, I've got to do something that will help them not make some of these blunders that defeat the thing that maybe they really want to save their marriages. And if they do, they need help because they, they're just stumbling in the dark. Um, they've been so deluded, for one, for quite a while. And so suddenly if they wake up and they want to save their marriage or they never thought their spouse would find out and they thought they could get away with it forever and all of a sudden D-Day comes and they have to face the music, they often make mistakes that really can be fatal to the chance of recovery. I, I've just seen it happen so often and it's just killed me. I remember one example of a couple where they were starting to make some progress. I was getting her to the point where she was going to be able to really talk about her feelings. And he pulled one more lie, but it wasn't even to do with the affair. And that was it for her. She just did not want to progress anymore, and she divorced him. And so I just wanted to prevent those kinds of mistakes if somebody really, really wants to save the marriage. And this is a marriage worth saving. Uh, and many times it is. Our personal failures can become tremendous lessons for our children and adult children when we have the courage to stick around and do the hard work of repair. But when we refuse to face the truth and run away instead, we lose our moral authority, teach our children to rationalize wrongdoing, and promote avoidance as the way to cope with life difficulties. So I wrote an article, and then I handed it out to a lot of my colleagues, and then they started sharing it with their clients, and then I got more requests and more requests, and it just kind of went from there. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll self-publish something that I can just take with me to conferences. And I had no idea it would sell. I, I did polish up the article into a book and I wanted something practical and something that people that are self-help phobic would read and uh, short enough and not using a lot of therapist language and boom, there it went. So I've been pleased because I want to help people and that was just a niche that I didn't think had been addressed. So you have betrayed spouses who probably have an interest in reading about what should I expect from the one you know, who had an affair. That probably is some of the audience, some of the people that are buying this book. But the target is to those who have had an affair. Right. And what are the responses you've received from those individuals? I, I get told that it was a corner turner for their spouse. Um, if it's the the betrayed spouse that's talking to me, they just said he wasn't getting it, he wasn't getting it until he read your book. And then all of a sudden the lights went on. So that's the most common response that I get. They get hope because I try to present a message of hope. You can save your affair. You can become a rebuilder instead of a destroyer of your marriage. And I've been very surprised at how many betrayed spouses have read it. I didn't expect it. And they have said, finally, a book that doesn't blame me. When we talk about infidelity, when we talk about affairs, that is defined in so many different ways. And so statistics, we read about how many affairs have occurred in marriages, how many marriages survive an affair. It it depends on how you define infidelity. How do you define it when you're working with a couple? And what are the outcomes that you see with a couple who comes to you and saying, we've experienced this? Help us. 
I like Dr. Shirley Glass's definition. She says that it, it takes three elements. One is emotional intimacy between two people where they've talked about things that are personal, whether it's the flirtation, uh, personal stories about their marriage. They've crossed some sort of a line where there's an emotional connection, usually some exclusivity one-on-one. The second element is secrecy. People don't know that they're meeting or talking on the phone or texting. There's some secrecy involved. And the third one is sexual chemistry. And if those three elements are there, it's an affair, whether there's anything physical going on or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I like uh, one ethics teacher that I took a class from. She talks about the well-lit room test. And that is if you were caught by someone with a bright light on this relationship and and your spouse was listening in or looking in on your conversation or your behavior, how would that be interpreted by the spouse? Mm -hmm. And I like that. I think that's a Mm -hmm. good little thing to ask a person. So understanding that it is such a prevalent problem in marriages, in our culture, what do you see as the likely outcome for a couple that's experienced infidelity or affair in their marriage? Well, even if the spouse doesn't know about it, let's say somebody's doing things on the side but and they know something's wrong but they can't put their finger on it, that still can lead to a divorce, even if they don't blame it on an affair because they don't know why their spouse was detached or disappearing late at night or whatever. Without professional help, I maybe give people a 30% chance maybe of being able to survive the revelation of an affair with professional help, but with a non-specialist, maybe 50%. That would be the best. I think people need to go to someone who specializes in infidelity or if their problem is more sex addiction, pornography, seeing prostitutes, strip clubs, that kind of thing, to go to a sex addiction specialist, CSAT trained um, but but with an infidelity specialist, I think I I think I have about a seventy percent uh, rate of saving marriages. The um, if there's if there's a lot of emotional involvement, though, it lowers because people get more messed up by the emotional connection than they do just the physical. Even though both light up the pleasure centers of their brain, the emotional involvement increases the likelihood that the marriage may not make it. You probably face what I often face, couples that come in for help who have been to other counselors mm-hmm. who are not infidelity specialists, yeah. who are probably very good at what they do, but what they do is help, you know, struggling marriages or marriage with, marriages with normal problems. They're not used to dealing with the trauma of infidelity. Yes. What do you hear from those clients who come from just, you know, a couple counselor or a marriage counselor? The kinds of things I hear are the first session, a a person goes in, tells the the therapist, I'm involved in an affair, and and they tell their story. They believe the story, which, see, a lot of times is distorted. If you have any experience working with affairs, you know that. But a lot of therapists will hear the story. They'll take it at face value, even though the person's rewritten their whole marital history. And they'll tell them something like, well, the best you can hope for is a peaceful divorce. First session. I had somebody come to me. That was what their therapist said to them the first session. I was appalled. 
So it does make a difference in terms of the person's experience and understanding of both trauma and what infidelity can make people do, such as rewriting the marital history. And so they're kind of delusional and they're going to, they look back at their marriage completely differently than they would have before the involvement with the other person. And then once they wake up, then all those negatives that they ascribe to their spouse just to justify the affair, a lot of that gets put in perspective and they realize that they were just, these were just excuses. Although your faithful partner may have played a role in your vulnerability to an affair, that is not the same thing as causing it. Your spouse did not hold a gun to your head and insist that you get involved with someone else. You chose to step out of the marriage on your own. Your job is to take responsibility for the affair, work hard to rebuild your partner's trust and offer comfort and reassurance. Then, once your commitment to honesty has been reestablished, and the initial turmoil has subsided, your spouse will be more willing to address any troubling marital issues that predated the affair. Even marriage therapists, you know, I'm a systems trained therapist. You're taught to look at the whole system and what behaviors are inviting the behavior of the other person. Well, the problem with affairs is they're a little bit more like an addiction. It, we all know that when, when you're working with a couple and one person's an alcoholic or chemically impacted by a drug, you can't do couples work because the influence of the chemical distorts whatever you're going to try and do with them as a couple. They have to go into treatment first, and then you can work with them as a couple. Well, infidelity is a little bit the same way in some ways in that it's like an addiction, and there's a chemical imbalance that happens in the brain. The dopamine and the phenylethylamine, all these hormones, light up the pleasure centers of the brain much like morphine. And so that makes it so they just don't have the perspective that they would otherwise. And if you don't know that, you're going to treat these things as equal. I have people that are going through these things and relatives, well-meaning, will say things to them like, well, it takes two. Well, not really. You know, I think you can make a person vulnerable to some sort of acting out. You know, if you're super critical or if you have an alcohol problem or if um, you're neglecting your relationship, the other person can be made vulnerable to something, but they certainly had a lot of other options besides an affair. You know, the person that's feeling hurt could drag you into therapy or they could start eating too much or they could they could do a lot of other things besides have an affair so the unfaithful person just doesn't have the right to blame or the therapist have a right to blame the faithful spouse for what's going on every story that comes into your office is slightly different even yeah. though there are a lot of things in common so I, I want to ask a question it's probably a little bit unfair but if you only knew that you had a moment to talk to a couple that were experiencing a reaction from infidelity in their relationship, what do you think would be among the most important thing or things for the betrayed spouse to understand and for the unfaithful spouse to understand? Yeah, uh, let me tell you an illustration I always tell people the very first time I see them. And I say that it's a bit like a broken bone. You know, the, the marriage, there's been a break. 
in the commitment, in the fit, in the trust. There's been a horrible break. And if the bone isn't set right, it's not going to heal. But if it's set right and the right supports are put around it, actually at the point of the break, it will eventually become stronger at that point than the whole rest of the length of the bone. And I think that's true in marriages. When, when they get the right kind of therapy, the right kind of support, the right kind of insights, and they connect well and then have all the support around them that they need, that they won't be vulnerable to infidelity again as a couple because they will understand themselves better and they'll understand the dynamics in their relationship and they'll have resources to work with that they didn't have before. So that's the hope they have of an outcome instead of the devastation that they're feeling immediately. Yes. So I try to instill that right away. In terms of individually, for the unfaithful spouse, I would would just emphasize 100% cut off with the other person. And if that means changing jobs, if that means blocking them from your phone, all of that 100% cut off. Successful rebuilders recognize the danger and damage of continued contact with the affair partner. They seek to quickly put as much space between themselves and the former lover. They accept the fact that once a married person crosses the line from colleague or friend into romance with an outside person, the betrayer loses all rights to relate to the friend or colleague if he or she wants to save the marriage. Successful rebuilders are willing to suffer the accompanying losses because they decide to value their marriages more than their rights to maintain contact with the other person, no matter what. That can be difficult, but I have just never seen it work if the person continues to have any kind of interaction with the other person. And if they feel like they have to have some sort of closure thing, I always make it be an agreement between the faithful and unfaithful spouse as to what to say, how to do it, and then the faithful spouse gets to witness it in some way, whether it's a letter or a phone call. That's the first thing. And the other thing is just to be really committed to telling the truth because it's the lies that are the most damaging in affairs, as awful as the physical violation is of any kind or the emotional violation. It's the lies, the the feeling that you could lie to me it will threaten the marriage the most in the future. Successful rebuilders don't evade questions when asked. They don't hide information or spend energy on damage control. They are forthcoming, honest, contrite, And if they do lapse into a cover-up of some kind, usually from the fear of hurting the betrayed spouse, they confess it immediately without waiting to be caught or interrogated. Successful rebuilders recognize that the painful truth is far less damaging than more lies. And then to have deep remorse and empathy Sometimes it takes time, but if they don't get that, the spouse is just going to feel totally isolated and alone in their, in their sorrow and pain, that they need to be able to heal together. When the couple works at it, and if they're guided correctly, the unfaithful person becomes like a healing person. They will listen to the pain. They will try to comfort and soothe their spouse. But if they're not there to do that, the person has to do 
all of that by themselves. They have to undo the rationalizations without having a spouse do it. They have yeah. to um, somehow find a way to reclaim uh, the truth because they've been told so many lies. They um, have to go through post-traumatic stress reactions all by themselves without having comfort from their partner. So they rely on a therapist. And the therapist yeah, I, I, you know, can help, but it's not nearly the impact as having a spouse say, I am so sorry that I did this to you. What about the things you would say to the betrayed spouse? I would say, first of all, don't underreact. If we react too glibly, like it's not that big of a deal, um, we take it too casually, that is a signal to the other person that they can continue it or that it's not that big of a deal, it didn't hurt you that badly. And um, so to not do that, on the other hand, we don't want to go on the other end of the pendulum and overreact, flip out, tell everybody about it, file for divorce, sell your home, you know, or put up your home for sale. You know, don't, don't, don't jump to huge reactions. Um, I recommend just a firm response that shows hurt and anger to the degree that you're feeling it without it being abusive, without trying to hit them or whatever, even though that does happen initially. People will <laughs> do that. Um, but it needs to be a very strong reaction to show that they've been hurt. The hurt shows how much you love your spouse and and to somehow make it so it's loving toughness. The person that's been involved outside the marriage needs sometimes to be shocked into reality. When they see the look on their spouse's face, the look of horror, the look of pain, the, the sorrow, all of a sudden reality can hit and it'll shock them out of that whole bubble that they've been in with the affair. And it's very effective. So it's just important to have an honest emotional reaction without going over the top. Linda, the response from betrayed spouses who have read your book is often one of, that's exactly what I need my partner to do. If they would be attentive to those things, I think I would be able to move forward and eventually get through this pain and restore my trust. But not all of them are in a relationship where their spouse is being attentive to those things. And yet many of them want to save their marriage. They don't want a divorce. What do you say to a betrayed spouse who wants their marriage to be restored but looks at the things you've written and says, my spouse hardly does any of those things. They said they're sorry, but they just want to move on mm -hmm. and kind of get back to normal and not talk about this anymore. Do and that is classic. That does happen. A yeah. couple things. One is I tell them, give it a little bit of time. Sometimes it takes a while for people to pull out of denial. But I sometimes recommend kicking them out, just saying you need to go stay somewhere else for a while while I think about whether I'm going to stay with you or not. Even if they really want to stay, they need to have what um, I think it's Bonnie Eicherweil or one of those great authors talks about giving them the brush with death. It's that feeling like they really could lose the spouse. And sometimes it takes a tough love approach to wake them up. And so if they're lulled into thinking, oh, she'll, she'll get over it or we just need to move on, that's old news. No, that can't be acceptable. So that's the first thing I tell them is to do a tough love move. The most important quality that an unfaithful spouse needs in order to successfully regain their offended partner's trust is that the betrayer gets it. Getting it means that straying spouses understand the wrongness of their behaviors 
and the depth of the pain they have caused their spouses. Rebuilders need to effectively renounce their old behaviors and develop a keen sense of what it must be like to be in their partner's shoes. Do you recommend that even if there's a risk that they're going to go back and reconnect with the affair partner? Yep, yep, because yep. if they're, they're going to do it, they're going to do it. Uh, I don't say always do that. I, sometimes in-home separation can be enough. There just needs to be some sort of consequence that says, I'm not going to tolerate this. As much as I love you, I'm not going to tolerate this. Because otherwise it leads to codependence and doing all the work while the betrayer is doing none or very little. So they have to recognize that they have to be tough as much as they don't want to lose the marriage. I think of an example of a gal I know that she married someone that was his second marriage. And if she found out he was an alcoholic, so she said, look, it's me or the alcohol. You either go get treatment or we're done. Now, she didn't want it to be done, but he did go get treatment. And so sometimes something that makes a betraying person feel like I could lose this relationship if I don't do something, it needs to be that kind of a consequence. There's a family law attorney I once consulted with, and he said to me, he says, I never see these things work out unless the straying person is totally broken and willing to do whatever it takes to restore the marriage. And if somebody is not seeing that, and they do the tough love thing, and it still doesn't work, it never was going to work. I've seen marriages stay together without that. Oh, they're I think miserable. They, sac- yeah, they sacrifice intimacy and trust, but they somehow manage to avoid divorce. Well, I just think what quality of a relationship do you want? Do you want an honest one? Do you want connection? Or do you want to just live in misery together while you just sort of go through the motions? Successful rebuilders realize that the reason for their spouse's current lackluster appeal is usually the betrayer's own fault. They know that their harmful acts before, during, and after the affair have demoralized their wounded partners. They accept responsibility for this and recognize that their selfish entanglements have stolen their spouse's sense of security, value, and emotional safety. Rebuilders say to themselves, No wonder my spouse is moody, tearful, and insecure. I did this to him or her. You obviously have a passion for helping people find healing and finding not just recovery, but even here in the way you're talking about it, you want to move them towards the experience of even a a new kind of marriage Mm. based on what they're learning. What is most discouraging to you in the work that you do? with these couples, and then what is the most encouraging to you? Um, The most discouraging is when people are not humble. They feel like they don't have anything to learn or grow on either side. I knew a couple that he was totally repentant and totally sorry, and really deep down what he wanted was affection from his wife, who was starving him out in terms of physical touch, uh, she was critical, and yet because he had, did this awful thing, she blamed all their problems on his unfaithfulness. She was not willing to grow. She just was so fragile that she had to be the perfect one and he had to be the devil, and they didn't make it. Um, so I get discouraged when I see a lack of humility because both people have something to learn and grow from from a crisis like this. 
and I get discouraged when I when I just have a straying partner bring their spouse in for couples counseling. Then I find out what's going on, and then the unfaithful person disappears because really they've just dropped their spouse off for me to fix them because they're going to leave. Mm-hmm. That's highly discouraging. So those are the two biggest things, I think. The things that encourage me is when people are really wanting to work it out, they have the humility and they're willing to stick it out because it, it takes time. I mean, therapy it has to be pretty intense for quite some time. And I say you won't even know if you're going to make it as a couple for six months. And so I try to lengthen their perspective of how much counseling they're going to need. It's probably going to be a couple of years. So I, I love it when a straying partner gets it, when they realize, oh my gosh, I'm either what repeating what my dad did or I have injured my spouse so much and really can see the pain and, and is sorry, so deeply sorry. That just moves me. Sometimes I cry after people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when I see that kind of humility and recognition on the part of the person who stepped out. I just love seeing the lights come on. I do get discouraged when betrayed spouses plan to put the white hat on themselves, the black hat on the betrayer for the rest of their lives, that I'm always the perfect one, you're going to be the bad guy, and you're going to pay the rest of your life. Uh, Some people are insecure enough that they feel like they have to do that in order to feel okay. And I just get really sad about that because that has to be the idea of eventual forgiveness, eventual repair, where they're not going to be torturing the other person all the time. Now, that doesn't mean they won't have triggers, but they will lessen over time. They both have to be realistic that there will be triggers, but it doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out torture fest for the rest of their marriage. Repair is possible if people are willing to do the work. And a lot of times for a person that was the betrayer, there were things that predated the marriage, whether it was a parent that was unfaithful, unresolved grief. Many times an affair will happen at a point of strain or stress. I can't tell you how many times I have had clients come in and the point where he decides to step out or she is when a, a parent dies that they had a lot of unresolved issues with. And they experience this complex grief, like I'm never going to be able to, you know, repair things with my father. I'll never hear I love you. I'll never hear that affirmation that I've longed for my whole life. And rather than deal with the grief, they find an antidepressant in stepping out of the marriage. All of a sudden, woo, I feel better, right? Because they they like how they feel within an outside, exciting, secret relationship. And really what they're doing is medicating themselves. If they're willing to look at those kinds of things and work through the grief realistically and face it, the repair that was needing to happen can happen. I like to get to the root of things. What was it that made you vulnerable at this time? And and then to teach them you know, how to connect, how to be empathetic, how to become more, quote-unquote, emotionally intelligent, aware of the other person's feelings. And the only way they can do that usually is starting with their own. And once they can do that, they can connect with their partner. So I just like the idea of repair for the long haul, including whatever factors precipitated the situation. From the moment I read your book, from the few emails that we've exchanged, 
I have felt camaraderie with you just in the sense that it seems like our perspective and our vision for helping couples move towards healing and renewal in their marriage is is very much alike. I just want to express to you I'm very appreciative not only for what you're doing to help couples, but that you've taken part of it and put it out as a resource that has been helpful for me to use with clients and for many of the people that I've known to uh, use as well. And, And for those that are listening to this podcast, we will put a link to your book, How to Help Your Spouse Heal from Your Affair, which just I can't recommend highly enough to people. So thank thank you. Thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad that you have a passion, too. The the world needs a lot of us, I'm afraid. (laughs) Yes, it does, unfortunately. If you're interested in receiving any personal help from either Sharon or me, go to affairhealing.com slash coaching for more information on how you can schedule personal phone coaching with either one of us. To listen to past episodes of this podcast, go to affairhealing.com slash podcast or listen using iTunes or any other popular podcast player. Thank you.